Good morning. Let me just uh, lift this stand, <laughs> as I always have to do. It's a pleasure to be here with you this morning. just want to welcome anyone who's new here, whether you're online or in person. Um, my name's Stephen Sussink. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here at Evergreen, and uh, we hope that you would be blessed, encouraged, strengthened, and perhaps convicted if need be. Uh, we're continuing the series called Formed in the Image, and I realized when I began this series, the first sermon, I didn't actually share all the reasons why I wanted to do this series. The first sermon I talked about a man that I knew in a church who was uh, in a high position and how he would act one way on Sunday, but then when it came to the rest of the week, he often acted another way. And how that became, how that became, uh, what would you say, caused damage to the church, to the gospel, because people saw that his life didn't live up to how he spoke on Sunday. But another key reason I wanted to do this series is to share from my heart how God has been working on me the last couple years. If I'm not willing to be honest and vulnerable with you, how can I expect you to be honest and vulnerable with me? I think we all like things that are real. We don't like prepackaged. I'm not sure about you, but I love a triple A, you know, Alberta beef burger. Homemade, all the fixins, you know, pickles, the cheese, the tomato, onions, you name it, the bun, the mayonnaise. And if you were to say, you can have this burger that's real beef, or you can have this McDonald's burger, I hope that every time you would choose the real burger. <laughs> and if not, we can pray for you. Um, but, uh, <laughs> but I think being raw and vulnerable is so important as a body of Jesus. How can we receive healing? How can we move forward if we can't be real with one another? If I'm not willing to be vulnerable with you, I can't expect that of, of you. And so I hope that we can grow together to be real, vulnerable. I've seen myself formed into the image of Jesus over the last couple of years. And when I say that, don't hear it wrong. I'm not saying that I look like Jesus. I have a long ways to go. Even this week, I was confronted by my own brokenness, my own uh, sin. And me and my wife were talking, and it's, it's so interesting how our most intimate relationships, whether that's with husband, a wife, whether that's with our children, you know, our parents, our friends, these relationships, because they are in a more raw and vulnerable place, often bring up our own brokenness. And for me this week, it was anxiety, it was worry. <clears throat> Have you this morning ever been in a place of worry, anxiety, wondering about what's next? I remember when I was a teenager being racked with anxiety. I know worry and anxiety well, like a close, toxic friend who hung on for far too long. I remember when I was 12 or 13, feeling the overwhelming anxiety. I remember it took a toll on my sleep, on my brain, and how I operated. I remember lying in my, lying in my bed, not knowing how to turn my brain off. My brain just wouldn't stop. It would just go, 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 go. And what happened is I would analyze situations a hundred different ways. I'd think about something and think about it and think about it and think about it. And I remember when I began to enter kind of those early teenage years, 12, 13, I would sometimes have these violent and dark thoughts that would come. And they scared me because I didn't know where they came from or what they meant. And I remember just wrestling with those and trying to figure out like, what's going on? What's going inside of my head? And 
I'm not sure about the science of this is something that happens usually with puberty, but I remember being so worried, trying to logic my way through these thoughts that would come into my head. And at that time I thought everything, you know, maybe it was spiritual, maybe it was demonic, maybe it was sin. And at times, maybe these things do influence our thoughts. But I didn't realize when I was a young teenager that there was actually mental health issues in my family history. I had a grandma who was bipolar. I didn't realize that until I was much older. And so things kind of began to make sense. Now, worry has been with me a long time. It's nowhere near the extent of what it was when I was a teenager. I think this morning we are called to orient, to turn away from worry. Worry can come from many different places. Often when I feel that I worry is that I'm trying to seek control. I'm trying to figure out how do I control this situation? How do I figure it out? How do I make sure that I'm safe? Maybe this morning you're worrying over sickness. Maybe you worry about how people perceive you, what they think about you. Maybe you're worrying about your living circumstances, your job, maybe retirement. Jesus desires that we turn from our worry towards him. And as I preach this morning, I'm not saying that I have a right. I'm not saying that I don't struggle with worry, that I don't have anxiety ever. I do. But I hope that as I preach that we'd allow the Holy Spirit to turn our hearts away from the things that worry us towards him. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for Evergreen this morning, Lord. I pray that as we read scripture, that we would be transformed by your Holy Spirit, that you would convict, change, heal, redeem what needs to be redeemed, Lord. We welcome you here, Holy Spirit. Fill this place with your presence. May we know you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, if you have a Bible accessible, uh, please turn to Matthew 6, 25 to 34. We're going to be spending our morning here. One thing, though, that I want to note, that this passage here is actually directly linked to the passage before it. Um, in the Greek, it uses uh, this phrase called dia tuto. It's in your translations, you'll, it will say, like, therefore, for this reason, at the beginning of verse 25. And basically, that's saying, like, the passage previous is directly linked to this one. So in Matthew 6, 19 to 24, we have the story of the two masters. Either we will be ruled by money, by mammon, or we'll be ruled by God. And the question isn't if that will happen. The question is, which one will be your master? And so Matthew 6, 25 to 34 is actually set in the context of kind of these warring allegiances. Where will our heart be? Will our allegiance be with God? Will it be with money? And I think in this passage here, in Matthew 6, 25 to 34, this, this theme is continued of asking, where's our allegiance going to be? Are we going to be tied to worry, tied to possessions? Are we going to have our allegiance to the kingdom of God? So let's read Matthew 6, 25 to 34. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body or what you will wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Consider the birds of the sky. They do not sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they can any of you add one moment to his lifespan by worrying? And why do you worry about the clothes? Observe how the wildflowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin thread. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was adorned like one of these. 
And that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow. Won't he do much more for you, you of little faith? So don't worry, saying, what will we eat? Or what will we drink? Or what will we wear? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Now I want to say that this is a tough passage. When I came across this passage and felt that I should speak on it, I didn't like it. I have struggled with worry and anxiety. So this passage makes me uncomfortable. Also, I want to say this and admit this, that this passage sometimes has been used in damaging ways. Sometimes to dismiss people's pain and real concerns that they are going through. And so I want to say that as I preach about this, I want to do this with sensitivity. But sometimes there are things, sometimes we don't have enough faith. Sometimes we are worrying too much. And so I want to be sensitive, honest, vulnerable. And I hope to frame this passage in an encouraging way. The first point this morning is we are called not to worry. We are called to turn away from worry. Matthew 6, 25 to 27 says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about life, what you will eat or what you will drink or about your body. What you will wear isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? Can you add one moment to his life? I think the first thing we need to do when we look at this passage is we need to define what worry is and what it is not. And I think this is actually what leads to misinterpretation, which can lead to hurt. Uh, there's a Greek word here, um, and this word can be translated as apprehensive, have anxiety, be anxious, or be unduly concerned. And I think this last phrase, unduly concerned, is actually really helpful for us to think about worry. Let's be real. We all have reasons for concerns in our lives that are valid, that make sense. Perhaps you're struggling at work. Perhaps you're going through a divorce. Maybe someone in your family has a degenerative disease or an addiction. Or maybe you're at school and you're being bullied or you have a big assignment and you're stressed. It doesn't mean that we can't have concerns. It doesn't mean that we should not even think about these things. These are things that are real things. But I think the issue, the crux of the matter is, are these issues ruling us? Are these concerns ruling us? How much do they dominate on our mind? Do we see everything through the lens of that problem? If you remember the passage before this, it talks about allegiance to mammon, money, possessions, or to God. Who is your master? This theme continues but it's also extended to worry. Does worry master our life? Do our concerns, though valid, real, and true, do they rule us? I remember listening to a sermon um, from Evergreen when I was considering coming to Evergreen. I listened to like, sermons from basically the last year. And I remember there was missionaries who came, uh, Philip and Robin Sarah's, during the last Christmas season. And for those of you who weren't here, Philip... Um, 
has ALS, a neurodegenerative disease. And his wife said something so powerful that Phil had wrote. Phil said, I have ALS, but ALS does not have me. See, there's such a significant difference in that framing. He recognizes the reality of the situation, but the reality of the situation is not his master. He still knows that Jesus has him. Sometimes I have let fear be my master. Yvette could speak to the times where she's seen me struggle with fear and anxiety, whether it's regarding finances or the future. When Yvette and I decided to come here, you could say I was stressed, to put it lightly. I was thinking, oh my goodness, we're moving across the country to Ontario and we don't know anyone there. We do have some family, but they're far away and we're not exactly close with them. And this is, this is crazy. And we're thinking about living arrangements and kind of what we're going to do with that. And we didn't want to enter a rental agreement because we looked at the rental prices and like it's pretty much the same to pay mortgage payments as it is to rent. So we might as well try to buy, but we're in Edmonton. So how in the world are we going to be able to see houses? How are we going to buy something? And I remember like the anxiety was building. Yvette could probably tell you I was not the funnest person to be around when I worry and anxiety. And I remember God said to me, kind of convicting me, he said, I provided for you in Grand Prairie. I'm going to provide for you now. And I think sometimes it's easy for us to forget the past, to forget what God did in the past and be consumed by the present. That was me. I was consumed by the present. But we have been blessed by people here at Evergreen who have opened their homes and hearts to us, blessed over and over more than we could ask for. I think the rhetorical question that Jesus asks in verse 27 rings true. Can any of you add a moment to your life by worrying? Jesus' words are true. And I might say kind of unfortunately, because I spend a lot of time worrying. I wish I could add some moments to my life. But it does the opposite, doesn't it? Worry drains us, drains our emotions, our strength, our time. And studies have been shown that people who worry a lot have poor health outcomes. Worry does the exact opposite thing that we hope it would. I have had to learn, and I am continuing to learn to rest. To allow Jesus to be master, to trust in his greatness, faithfulness, and his sovereignty. The second thing this morning is we need to turn towards Jesus. We need to orient ourselves towards Jesus. Matthew 6, 28 to 30. And why do you worry about clothes? Observe how the wildflowers in the fields grow. They don't labor or spend thread. And yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was adorned like one of these. And that's how God closes the grass of the field which is here today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow. Won't he do so much more for you, you of little faith? It's easy to get caught up in real concerns. It's easy for us to shift away from Jesus and I want to say that Jesus does talk about provision in this passage, but let's be real. Sometimes the provision we're looking for doesn't always happen or doesn't always look like we think it will. I remember in my mid-20s when I was a youth and young adult pastor and I had a very close friend get cancer and he had a young family. It was an extremely aggressive form of cancer. He died within about three to four months when he was diagnosed. And I remember saying, God, how come you didn't heal him? He has a young family. I remember asking God when I was going through my divorce, Lord, why didn't you save my marriage? 
Sometimes the provisions we're looking for are not always answered the way that we want. And let's be honest. There are people in this world without clothes. There are people that die because of neglect, violence, and oppression. And I don't believe Jesus is dismissing this in this passage. If we think about the ancient world where Jesus walked, oppression, starvation, famine, these were real things. In the West, we don't really see this, but in Jesus' time, this would have been something that was a reality for people that they were aware of. I think the point of this passage is more about our trust and allegiance to Jesus, not that our concerns don't matter or aren't true, but Jesus is teaching that often these concerns are far too easy to spend far too much time on. It's not that we should not care about them at all. We should care about our clothes and our food and our necessities. If you're struggling with that, it's something to think about. But the issue is these concerns slowly but surely become our masters. They begin to possess our mind. If we, think up in, if we think of Canada, for example, we have usually our necessities. We have our food, we have our shelter, we have our clothing, generally speaking. I know that's not for all, but for the majority of the population, that's where most of us are. And we're blessed to be in that possession, in, sorry, in that position. But how easily do possessions and our concerns rule our minds, even though we're far better off than most? I have a wealthy friend and I was talking to him on the phone and talking about uh, just stress and finances. And he said to me, um, as a wealthy person, he said, the problem is the more you have, the more you have to lose. And he was just talking about how his stress hasn't sometimes changed even though he's in a very wealthy position, he has more things to lose. Think of how much we like to hoard, how much we find security in resources. My dad is a hoarder. And it drives my mom nuts. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, and so my mom sometimes will throw stuff out when he's not looking or you know, like slowly whittle things down. But it's so easy to try to find security in possessions. It's so tempting. We accumulate, accumulate, accumulate. And then we find when we're in older years, all of a sudden we have a bunch of stuff that doesn't really do anything. We think we can find security in the moment, in possessions, but often our possessions become our present. Our possessions possess us. They become our master. And we can think of this as a Western problem, but this has been a problem for all time. It's interesting, as I was doing research and I was reading commentaries and reading about the Roman culture, they had this exact problem. They would accumulate possessions and items and wealth just like we do. This is not a 21st century problem, a Canadian problem, an American problem. It's a deeply human problem. It was easy for Jesus' listeners to put their faith in their security, in their stuff, not realizing it's ultimately God who provides these things. One of my favorite theologians, Craig Keener, notes, the greatest danger to Western Christianity is not, as is sometimes alleged, pervading ideologies, such as Marxism, Islam, the New Age movement, or humanism, but rather the all-pervasive materialism of our affluent culture. Would we reorient, reorient 
turn towards Jesus. Trusting that the Lord knows our needs and can meet us there. When we came to Simcoe, me and my wife for the last couple of weeks have been looking for a house. And this demonstrated often where my faith was at, that I wasn't trusting in the Lord. I would try to run the numbers. I would try to figure everything out. And let me say, if you're trying to buy a house, please run the numbers. You need to think about your finances. You should check your bank account. I'm not saying be fiscally irresponsible. But so often my approach would be dominated by fear. A need for control. And what would happen is I would be stressed. About four days ago, me and Yvette went to an inspection on a house we were looking at. And I remember after the inspection... For about four or five hours, it's like something came over me. My wife could tell you, I became super stressed. My brain was frenetic. I wasn't like thinking logically. If you looked at my body, my countenance, stress was running the show. Instead of putting my faith in God, I turned towards stress. I turned towards, let me try to figure this all out. And the Lord wanted to meet me in that place. He wanted to transform me. Would I put my faith in him knowing that he cares about my needs? We need to turn towards the kingdom of God, towards his kingdom. Matthew 6, 31 to 34. So don't worry saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? For the Gentiles eagerly seek these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God, and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. In this passage, Jesus has a dual emphasis. He not only wishes that we do not worry about these things, but we do not eagerly seek them. And we do not need to do this because our Father is in heaven. It's difficult to trust God at times. Especially if you felt like God didn't meet you in your time of need. He didn't meet you in your maybe dark moment. But I think Jesus here is not necessarily saying that things are going to go our way, but that our orientation needs to be towards the kingdom. It's easy to become jaded, to become angry, to have a hurt and to nurse that hurt. I remember my own anger over the years, feeling that God didn't provide what I wanted him to provide. When me and Yvette got married, um, I should preface by saying this, me and Yvette grew up in the same church. And when we got married, we were thinking, what church are we going to go to? I was attending my brother's church at the time. And we're thinking, well, you know, Yvette was really involved in her home church, the church that we grew up in. And, you know, we thought about it. And just because the health of the churches, we thought we'd go to the church that we grew up in. This was the best decision. But to be honest, there was a huge part of my heart that was resistant. I had no interest in attending or being involved. My heart was hard towards that church. Although I cared about them, there had been deep hurts from some people in the church leadership. I didn't want to be there. But the Lord wanted to soften my heart, to change my allegiance to the kingdom rather than to my own hurts and wanting to be secure in them. I was wanting to protect my heart but by doing so, I was actually protecting my hurt. God had to change my desire and say, are you going to focus on the kingdom of God? 
And very quickly, because of a change of leadership in the church, God brought this issue even more so to the front. Because there's a change in leadership, all of a sudden Yvette was pushed into a position of influence. And then because I'm with her, I get kind of brought along. And I was thinking, I don't want to be a part of this. I don't have a desire to help. I want to stay in my hurt. But God began changing my heart. Was I going to lay down my hurt to help the church move forward so that they could be the church that God desired them to be? And so I began to become involved in that church. I began to seek, to pray, to meet with people, to give, um, to give instruction and wisdom and to preach there. It's so easy for our allegiance to be to something other than the kingdom of God. Maybe it's security, possessions. It's so easy to become insular. We begin to seek for ourselves. We begin to build our own kingdom rather than the kingdom of God. Possessions have a way of turning us toward ourselves instead of towards the Father. In closing, there's a commentary written by Janine Brown and Kyle Roberts. I thought they gave a thoughtful conclusion on this passage. They said it's not because life is easy or because daily necessities are unimportant that Jesus teaches what he does about worry in relation to the kingdom. Daily life, certainly in the first century, but also today is full of misfortune and evil. But pursuing God's kingdom above all else is not a flight from reality, but a radical trust in and with God. Let me say that again. Pursuing God's kingdom above all else is not a flight from reality, but a radical trust in and with God. This morning, are we willing to put our trust in God? Are we willing to reject the rule of possessions, the rule of worry, the rule of security? Is our allegiance in the kingdom? Let's pray. Father, your word challenges and convicts me so much about worry and where my security is found. Help me to orient, orientate towards the kingdom, Lord. Help us to orient ourselves towards the kingdom, what you're doing, Lord, to lay down the things which seek to hold us, down the, lay down the things, Lord, that help us to build our own kingdom, Father. Help us to build your kingdom, Lord. We thank you that you are a good Father. Mold us into your image. In your name, amen.